0: Good evening, time being 7 o'clock, I call the uh, March 8th meeting of the Joint Budget Subcommittee to order. Please pause for a moment of silence. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America to the public which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
1: Recording in progress.
0: That's a good thing. <laughs> okay, uh, note to all residents, all citizens are welcome to attend public board and committee meetings in person. Additionally, in an effort to maximize citizen engagement (coughs) opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone or Zoom. The meetings will also be live streamed by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29. The phone number is 929-205. Six zero nine nine, and the Zoom ID is eight two five one four seven two seven two five six, and then you need to hit the pound sign. Once again, the Zoom ID eight two five one four seven two seven two five six pound. Okay. Uh, just before we get going this evening, uh, I think it's important that uh, we kind of just kind of go around and introduce ourselves. I know we have na- name plates out, but uh, just so that the audience at home understands and knows who everybody is. Uh, and Megan Whitmore is unable to attend. She had a, a family issue that she had to take care of. So I'll go to.
2: Councilor from Jello. Hi everyone. from Jello. Town Council. Brian Chandler, Town Council. Uh, Dave McNeil, Franklin School Committee, and the uh, pleasure of serving us as the uh, Committee Chair. Tom Mercer, Chairman,
0: Town Council, Chairman of the Joint Budget Subcommittee. George Conley, Chairman, Finance Committee. Uh, good
3: evening,
4: everyone. Melanie Hamlin, uh, Town Council. Dave Callahan, School Committee. Natalie Riley, Finance
5: Committee.
2: Mike Hamilton, Finance Committee. John Grace, Finance Committee. Jamie, who are you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Prime He's Minister out. of England. I feel like <laughs> I'm right in the middle of it all. Just
0: just <laughs> me just, just
1: Fire questions at me.
0: Just fire. Just fire away. Okay, fire away. okay uh, for those who uh, have not uh, tuned in to the Joint Budget Subcommittee before. Uh, the Joint Budget Subcommittee is made up of the subcommi- the budget subcommittees of our three boards being the Town Council Budget Subcommittee, School Committee Budget Subcommittee, and the Finance Committee uh, Budget Subcommittee. So, and the whole idea of getting this group together, this started, uh, God, 10 years ago. Actually, I think uh, it was either my first or second year on the council when we first uh, started doing this, where we tried to get the three committees to deal with the budget, uh, deal with all the budgets on a regular basis, get them together to at least have discussions about the budget as a whole, and inclusive of all parts. And to get questions answered about specific items within budgets, whether it be the town budget, whether it be the school budget. So that's really uh, what the committee was put together for, just to collaborate so that when we do present the budget to the public, at our public hearings in May, uh, that at least we've had the opportunity to bring the three committees together. And understand where everybody's, where everybody is. A lot of the time we're all going to be on the same page, maybe sometime we're not going to be on the same page, but at least we will have had the opportunity to discuss and understand why we may or may not be on the same page. So with that, uh, what's your name?
1: Jamie. Jimmy. Yeah, Jamie.
0: Jimmy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremy. You want to do a quick leading? Sure. Um, on, the, uh, the, yeah. on the charge or the on the yeah. So uh, through Mr. Chairman, through the committee, and the folks watching at home, um, you can go to the town website franklinma.gov um, and you can uh, follow along. Just uh, put in the search bar "joint budget" and you'll get there. Um, the charge got approved. It was one of the council goals this year. It got approved about a year, year and about a year ago. Right now, actually, um, and it's just uh, I think it outlines um, you know some basic, simple goals that are probably achievable um, of trying to promote collaboration. Look, we've already done that tonight. We've mixed up the name plates. You're all sitting next to people <laughs> you don't normally sit next to. You're not in the seats you normally are at which changes the vibe a lot and gets people talking. In fact, I was just sitting here observing the fact that everybody was talking to other people they don't normally talk to, at least at meetings, which I think is kind of cool, because hopefully we get to build those relationships. Um, and then really the rest of the charge, Mr. Chairman, is really about public engagement in terms of uh, the role of communities to uh, promote uh, the budget hearings and uh, getting engaged in it, asking questions, um, keeping their respective boards and committees apprised, although I know many of the members of both committees, or all three committees are here tonight, or watching at home. And there's just me, just as you stated, just to meet uh, at least once a year is in the charge, but as often as people need, I know we all have time for more meetings. Um, and so, um, you know, it is very challenging, but I think this has kind of become, at least in my tenure, this is my eighth year in Franklin, this has become kind of a tradition. I think we've done the Joint Budget Subcommittee at least this time every year, uh, probably almost every year, maybe the pandemic year aside, but um, it's been beneficial for us on the staff to really hear what the conversation points are, the opinions uh, of what all you are hearing, because you're really um, you're hearing it from a lot of the citizens in town. So uh, it's a very basic charge, and um, you know this is kind of our, last year was technically our first year going through with this charge. This is really the first year um, and so, um, you know, we're sticking to the
6: blueprint.
0: Perfect. Okay. Uh, moving on into the FY23 budget update and discussion. Amy, do you want to sure. just do a quick update?
1: Sure. For, for everybody watching at home or streaming this, um, again, go to the website, franklinma.gov. Um, you can go on to the calendar. Uh, it's probably the easiest place. And if you go to today's date, you'll see the meeting <coughs> agenda in there is two important documents. Um, one, uh, my let's see, six-page memo. Um, I'm sorry it's six pages. Um, I know it's still long for a lot of people. I get a lot of complaints about it. Um, if you can't read six pages, you might want to find another hobby. Um, There's, I can't boil it down more than this. Um, But it goes into detail uh, about where we're at in the process. It also um, explains all of the assumptions that are in the second document uh, that's in the uh, packet, which is the first draft, the preliminary FY24 budget. Um, I won't go into all the details. I'm sure there's a lot of questions and we'll get it out uh, then. Um, I just want to reflect that the March 1, 2023 bu- preliminary budget that's in the packet really represents in general probably the wish list, if you will, of all of the stakeholders that I've heard from, many of you have heard from, about um, all sorts of needs. <coughs> Cost drivers on uh, electricity to uh, assuming um, uh, the school budget's budget of what they'll need for a level service budget. And it even takes into account, and I'm sure it'll come up in more in the discussion in the meeting, takes into account other things that we've heard from councilors or school committee members or finance committee members um, through the years. Um, things like snow and ice removal, why isn't that in the full budget? This proposal does that now um, with the removal of stormwater. And even most recently, uh, the capital subcommittee of the council really made a very large push um, to say, you know, things that we're buying in capital every single year turnout gear for firefighters, tasers for police officers, laptops for teachers, et cetera, we know we need those every year. Why are those in capital? Why aren't they in the operating budget? So in the model, and I've explained it in the memo, where those assumptions are, um, people can go in and look. Um, the bad news is, while that sounds all good, and it is really good, don't get me wrong, um, you know, uh, the good news is, is that people do want a lot of services. And I think that that's uh, a good testament to the team on both the school uh, district as well as the town. The bad news is, is that uh, on two different places, you can see them uh, um, on the uh, the model, uh, the wish list is $5.78 million higher than available revenue that we have. So clearly, um, clearly there is a high demand for service, there are a lot of inflationary factors in here, Um, and I would also note, as I conclude, at the end of my memo, there is a half a page of things that are not in here, that I know for a fact the community really, really wants. So um, with that, I'll leave my opening remarks there. How's that sound?
0: I'm sure you'll be expounding on much of it as we move uh, forward this evening. Uh, And and again, I think it's important for everybody to understand that the budget uh, that we're looking at, the preliminary numbers that we're looking at, are a wish list uh, to a degree. And obviously, uh, knowing that we're $5.7 million short of uh, fulfilling that wish list or those wish lists, that there is some work that needs to be done uh, to bring this together. So, and that's part of what we're here tonight to uh, talk about. Talk about what what options might be out there uh, and what differing opinions are out there. We have many department heads here. We have many members of the school committee here, as well as. Uh, 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 the municipal uh, finance department, as well as the school finance department. So, I guess before we, before I give off to everybody else, I'll ask a couple of easy ones uh, just to get us off
1: uh, onward.
0: One of the biggest cost drivers in the budget, Jamie, in FY 24.
1: Uh, through Mr. Chairman to the committee and the folks uh, watching at home. So, on page three of the memo, I have uh, a, a couple pages on expense assumptions. Um, so, you know, 70 or so percent of the town budget uh, roughly is, is salaries, you know, benefits per personnel. So, with the tax levy going up two and a half percent every year uh, due to Prop two and a half you know, at least on the municipal side, the personnel budget's gonna go up two and a half percent. That's three quarters of your budget that's already gone up two and a half percent, right? That's already meeting your revenue projection, essentially, for the year. So that's a a fairly uh, large cost driver. And personally, and you've heard this from me publicly numerous times, it's probably the most important thing. Because without the folks behind me and in front of you and the rest of the staff, you know, we're really not much. Um, And so uh, they deserve all of that and way more um, uh, but that's what we have. The second biggest cost driver is really inflation. Um, I think this year we're we're finally feeling the effect of it. Effects of it, um, notably mostly in facilities department, um, with electricity, gas, utilities. Uh, we expect that budget to go up three quarters of a million dollars this year. Um, so when you look at a tax levy that's going to bring in three point one and your electricity and utilities just to keep the lights on and the water flowing and the gas going, that's already a quarter of your new revenue, right out of the gate. Add in a second cost driver, um, which is really uh, fuel, DPW. Um, as I've said many times, just so everybody hears it, I mean, I think it goes without saying, but obviously the facilities in DPW have Uh, the budgets with the biggest cost drivers because they deal with supply supply chain issues and there's where your inflationary hit is going to be there. Um, I know the schools will talk later on about out of district placement and some of the other cost drivers for them um, and personnel and all those things Um, but really for the municipal side Mr. Chairman those are the two larger areas I think. I, I don't want to get into pension assessments that's a cost driver um, but that's always a half a million bucks a year, roughly. Um, those of you that have been paying attention on the finance committee know that. Um, so those are those are like baked in. Healthcare is at 5.2 percent, so that's more than two and a half percent. So we have to cut other areas and shuffle some things around. Um, but our staff do a great job managing those budgets. Um, so I would say those were the two big ones. Um, and I would I would end off by saying the third cost driver from my from my seat. Um, as I filed a budget on behalf of the town charter, um, obviously the school district budget, I've written in here, kind of no matter what way you want to manipulate the numbers, whether you assume a 7% increase, you assume fees go up or whatever, um, there's really, the, the, the school department in general at a 4.1% increase or 2.9 million, that's almost our entire new tax levy capacity together. So, I'll just leave it there, because I just think even those factoids, when I say them, um, feel shocking. Um, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of cost driving. I know things are going up, but we just can't do it all. Just, There's just no money. Just can't do it. So um, those are the, probably the three biggest things with the chairman. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jamie. Uh-huh. Just because it's a, a pet peeve of mine, uh, and I started this long ago when we did the, when we started this Joint budget Committee, is I hate the word size. Yeah. I hate municipal side. I hate school side. We are one town. We are one community. So I, if you can remember to use part, so that <laughs> the municipal part. Of the town budget and the school part of the town budget. I would appreciate it because I think it sends a much better message to the community. Just a pet peeve. Okay, um, I guess as far as, you know, I want this to be as much as an open discussion so that uh, everybody gets an opportunity. I don't want to just just go to Jamie and pick on Jamie, or I don't want to go to the schools and uh, just pick on the schools. But I do have a couple of school questions. So uh, I think what I'd like, I'll ask them, and that will kind of open the doors for everybody else and we'll move on down. So I don't know who wants to speak to it, but whether it be Dave as the, the chair of the budget subcommittee, whether it be superintendent Uh, So again, to a similar question that I asked to Jamie, uh, how much of the revolving, to get to that point, how much of the revolving funds do you expect to use in FY24? Do you want me to come up, Jamie? Sure. Sure. Sure, Please. Absolutely. Please do, because I'm sure the discussion's going to go back and forth, whether it be the school park and the uh, municipal park, it'll be kind of
6: back and forth there. The The answer is 7.1
7: million.
0: Okay, and- Yes. So what would the projected balance be at the end, after using it? Uh, we'll, we'll
8: R- roughly. Four million dollars. Which is approximately what we um, keep in the bank and generate on an annual basis uh, in, in revolving funds. So. And
0: again, I know and, uh, that the school part of the budget, the personnel costs, are going up over 4%. What are the other costs? drivers in your budget besides
6: that? We're all aware of that. Sure. So I know that I'll take the first part, Mary. Yeah. Um, Jamie mentioned out-of-district placements. Um, this year, um, the uh, OSD, um, which is an operational division of the state, um, unilaterally increased out-of-district special ed private tuition by 14% in an increase. So that went across the Commonwealth to all districts. And typically, we've seen an average of around 2 to 2.3, 2.4 over the last, I'd say, 15 years. It's been pretty steady and predictable. And this year, it went up 14%. So when you tally that, every school district um, is impacted differently based on the percentage of out-of-school, out-of-district tuitions. So uh, for Franklin, our uh, the impact to, to tuition for us is 775,000. Um, it ranges across the state from 500 to 1.3 million, I believe, but ultimately um, that's where we're impacted and we are a community that really works hard to Provide in-district programming for our students across the board um, In our special education department and really try to work and keep kids where we can when we can we can educate them You know appropriately to their needs um, We do that to the best of our ability And it also allows us morally to keep kids within the town in which they live and keep them a part of our community as much as possible. Unfortunately, every town, um, there are some programs that provide supports that just can't be supported at the school district level, um, depending on the needs. And in those cases, that's when we send students out for out of district. Are we always looking for
0: additional collaboratives uh, uh, to maybe look to for some of our students that may be a neighboring community? Uh, like I know we have, we use a BICO collaborative which we've used for many many years but are there other collaboratives that can help because the state correct me if I'm wrong the state isn't increasing the funding for uh, special ed nor are the
6: feds to any large degree based upon what we have to provide it's a a great question I appreciate you asking it too so we we have been also working we had a legislative forum all the tri-county meaning the Tri-County is the superintendent district, which includes multiple towns, probably 30 to 40 school districts. So it's not to be confused with the vocational school in town, but that's the name of our district. Um, we had a legislative breakfast um, when we met, and we explained um, this particular hike as it, as it relates to that large amount of money that we didn't foresee. But we, uh, in Franklin, I'm um, on the board of two collaboratives, which most of my colleagues are only um, at one. So we have Accept, which is a collaborative. They're based out of Natick. And then we have another collaborative, which is Bico. So um, I represent our our town on those on those boards. So we have two to choose from. They um, both experienced um, an increase, not to the level of 14 percent, but um, ten to accept
8: ten five from
6: Bico. Right. So they had uh, a rate increase of five and ten. Thank you, Miriam. So we are a member. We do look um, beyond in district and out to private schools, but we also have. Collaborative models that exist as well. and We continue to try to utilize those and be as creative as possible The last thing I would just say and I know mrs. Morano is here as well. She and her team continue to look for um, What are the needs of our kids and if we have multiple students who require? um, supports that um, are Specialized but could be accomplished with a classroom. We're continuing looking for ways to say you know what if we hired our own staff to provide these supports, could we do that? And sometimes it's feasible and sometimes it's not, but we certainly um, don't have a stagnant process for that. We continue to try to do that because we see the value, obviously. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome.
0: Okay. George? Um, I think I'll go back
9: to our deep dive back in uh I don't know, February?
6: Maybe? December 7th. January? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't
9: February. January December. January December. I'm still wrestling with the fact that we've gone from 6,300 kids to 46 this year, from uh, 47. 47 change. 47 change. Um 22, 23 percent, and yet the budget has exploded over that, and I special ed, etc. cetera. Um, you know, I look at the, the police and fire departments back there, they went and got creative to absorb it. Police department went to 10-hour <coughs> shifts and moved people around. The fire department went to a whole new structure and was able to hold things down. If you, what have we done to, I'll use the old cliche, think outside the box,
6: or is there anything? I. I don't have a comparable. I would commend my colleagues in the other departments for their creativity and the work they've done. I can only speak for for our industry. Um, We're in the business of educating students that come to school um, during the day. So the schedule itself, I think, is the time of day in which we would transport kids, pick them up, bring them to our school, educate them, and then if there's after school activities and whatnot. um, There's a variety of needs that students come to the building and, and and we provide as a district. And it's beyond just reading, writing, and arithmetic. I think, um, I think of education, and we all went through education as a high school student. But certainly, you know, I'm here, we all have a role to play in this room. We all have responsibilities around oversight and fiscal responsibility. I'm here to advocate for our kids and, and our schools. And I would say that at any given day, there could be a middle school student who enters who maybe has experienced trauma, and we have to provide some mental health or social emotional support for that kid so they can navigate their day. And that requires the help of maybe a counselor up to be in the room. Maybe there, um, maybe it manifests in behavior that we have to address or deal with at the school level. And we've seen an uptick, you've heard, I'm sure, across the board around that and how we manage that. That requires um, support as well. Uh, when I think about a student who comes to us, when well, maybe they're a refugee or they're someone who's learning a second language, we have to have someone who's a specialized teacher to instruct the student to help acquire that language. But then also, they have the right, and we have a more responsibility that they are educated with their peers so that they are learning the content at the same time. You could have a student with a learning disability, not in a specialized program, but has a specialized teacher who's designing that instruction. They're on a plan, but they're also in a classroom with a teacher Um, That's the general ed teacher, and they're they're needing needing support that we provide. Um, And a few other examples. You could have a student who is a general ed student who goes through the day, takes um, some of our art and music electives, maybe takes some AP courses, which are advanced placement. So we offer uh, 18 of those across the high school as as opportunities. And then attend an after-school club because they want to, to learn about podcasting or journalism before we just, we just were awarded the Journalist of the Year for high school, um, and I think that's due to that student's drive and capability, but I would also think it was from inspiration from the teachers he had, and also the clubs, and what he's been able to do with Panther Book, which is the school newspaper. Um, and finally, I would just mention, um, you could have someone who's in one of our specialized program getting educated by a teacher, and the educational support personnel is assigned. They could be going out in the community, working at Big Y, and they need a job coach for that to happen. So um, this is just a wide range of students who enter beyond um, getting just tier one or or our our teachers in front of them that are educating them in the content areas. So um, I think when we, we think about the budget and what we fund, we're a human business. We're not a tire factory where if our costs were running high, we could cut down on the number of um, things we produce, or we could go to our marketing and try to recruit and generate more revenue that way, um, and those are ways. And then creatively, to answer the, 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 the final part, uh, Mr. Conley, I would say we continue to look for a grant opportunities. Dr. Rogers is, is behind me. Um, she was able to secure um, over $100,000 in math um, grant materials. Um, Mr. Um, D'Angelo and I applied for a school safety grant in 2019 that we received in 2020 for 80 grand for school security. And I think about the literacy grant that we're crossing our fingers that we get. So those are just a few items that we do try to think creatively and utilize the resources we have. And it's not lost on me that we need to continue to look for ways to be fiscally responsible but also provide the level of education that this town has come to expect and that we expect of, of each other and our kids. Who decides, initially,
9: who is a special ed student? Who, who moves them from the regular classroom to the special ed and decides that somebody's got to go to, I think we send one young man to Lawrence or somewhere up there, right? I, uh, I don't,
6: I spoke, I don't, I don't know if I ever- shared student information, but as a hypothetical Can you just walk through the process, Mrs. Morano, and you sure. introduce yourself?
5: Hi, I'm, Mrs. Mar- I'm Paula Morano. I'm the Assistant Superintendent of Student Services, so thank you for allowing me to talk tonight. Um, this is my passion, and this is what I, my, my job that I do every single day. I'm very passionate about it, so. Um, so decide if a student is a special ed student. So a student gets, becomes referred to the special ed team, either by a parent, a physician, for a school-based team if we see that a student is struggling in a certain area. The next step is for us to evaluate that child, so we, our school-based team evaluates that child to see where the areas of deficits are. From that evaluation, we determine if the student has a disability, a school-based disability. Sometimes students come in with a medical disability also that we have to um, look at and examine and see how it's impacting their learning. If it is determined through the team process that it impacts their ability to access their curriculum, then we recommend a specialized um, individualized educational program. So it could be as minimal as consultative services with our school adjustment counselors or our specialists like our OTs or PTs or special educators, or it could be being supported in the general ed classroom, or it could be pull-out services. And then we determine that where those services will take place. And we always look for the least restrictive environment. Well, what does that mean? Supporting the student within the general ed classroom. But if we find that that student's not making progress, then we might have to provide services outside of the classroom, in a special ed room, in a counselor's office. So we can keep um, collecting data and examining the data to ensure that the student is making progress. If we feel the student isn't making progress in the, cur- in the least restrictive environment, then we might not need to recommend a specialized program. And we always look for our in-district programs first, as Mr. Giger described. And that could be our autism program, our language-based program, our social-emotional program. If the student, again, based on data, based on progress, if the student's not making progress, then we might recommend a more restrictive environment. And yes, to answer your question, we do look at collaboratives first, because that is another, another lesser restrictive environment. So we'll look at VICO, we'll look at Accept, we also access other collaboratives within the Commonwealth that might be able to fit that student's need and profile and the methodology that that student requires to make progress. <clears throat> if that doesn't work, or the student has more significant needs, then we look for our out-of-district placements and our private placements. And then, if that even doesn't work, because some students do have significant disabilities that are impacting home and and in the in the school in the Regular community, we might have to look at residential. But we always look at least restrictive environment first. It's always a team decision. The parent is part of the team; they're a, an active part of that team. And then we ha- use it based on data. So that's kind of the ABC readers' Dive version yeah. of special education, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Romney. I know you do. That's why i now. Just give the How
9: many? Of the 4,700 kids, are part of special ed.
5: We have it's close to like it's 900 roughly. 900 students have special ed. And that could be yes, about 18%. It comes up to about 18% of our students. Yeah. And that could be anything (laughs) from as I described, just being supported in the classroom to being in a residential placement. So.
8: To
9: that the 900, yeah. cut catches my attention. That's mm-hmm. a
5: lot. It is a lot. Mm-hmm.
9: Now has that changed post-COVID?
5: Um, yes, yeah. it has gone up.
9: By? Um, I guess? would s-
5: about one to two percent, not a huge percentage, but about one to two percent. So we were pretty um, stable for a while and then post-COVID now we're seeing another increase. So we are, we're looking at that, we're, at, we're doing, you'll hear about MTS, you know, that we're doing multi-tiered of supports. We're trying to provide those tier one, tier two supports. If you've watched our school committee meetings and our presentations, you've heard of that. We're really trying to provide those supports before they refer to special ed, because the more supports we can provide before they need a special ed evaluation, the more cost-effective that is gonna be. And it's better for the students.
0: Now, or
9: I'm yeah, I And i forgot my question, page,
5: it? um George, can I type in just because it's something related to
8: that? I'm curious how you know we're comparing the numbers a lot, and the 18 percent I think is very helpful because when you <laughs> went through the the services, it's obviously very value add, and you know people love Franklin mm-hmm. for their schools. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, that doesn't really explain like how, why we've dropped an enrollment unless our services have increased or the number of people we've had to service have increased. Because presumably when we had 6,000 students, we also provided those same services. So I'm curious, is it the like the level of special education? Like is it is it 18% now when it was 9%?
5: No, I think our, we probably around 14 to 15%, I think was our average when, mm-hmm. during the lowest time. But I think like Mr. Jiguer said, the kids are requiring more intensive services. So no, not only do we need counselors in our classrooms for our students with special ed, but it's our other students as well, our students who aren't referred for special ed that we're also providing those those counseling services for. Kids are coming in with trauma, trauma that we've never seen before um, and behaviors that we haven't seen before. And it's post-COVID, it is a lot of it is post-COVID. They have lost executive functioning skills, they've lost coping skills, and they really are requiring more and more supports. Right. Okay, that's
2: helpful. I'll come back. Thank you very much. Um, so, you know, we just heard that you know, 18% of the student population um, is some kind of specialized program. And um, something that you mentioned, but if uh, you um, wouldn't mind extrapolating a bit more, how not only are these specialized in district programs, better for the students in our community, but also how they're ultimately uh, cost saving. Do you, do you mind uh, expanding upon that, please? Okay, I'll take it. Your,
8: your co- yeah.
5: cost mirror. I'll, I'll <laughs> start, You'll You'll start and, I'll start, and, and, and she'll <laughs> fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
8: So. Um, as Mr. Morano said, we always look for the least restrictive environment, which is either our generalized classroom or in one of our specialized programs. That's why we have specialized programs in district because they do actually cost us less to educate a student within our our district than sending them out to an out of district placement, which could cost anywhere between sixty and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for a residential placement. So maybe sixty thousand for a uh, a collaborative placement. All the way up to you know 250 to 300 thousand for a residential placement. When we look at an in district specialized program, our average average cost is in the 30 to 34 thousand dollars per student. Um, we are educating them in our schools. They are going to school with their neighborhood peers they are with our teachers uh, and our power professionals uh, and we're they're getting the supports that they need in our neighborhood school in their neighborhood school with their peers
6: transported um, by the van that we transported, transported by in a
8: van just, the <laughs> one few of yeah uh, yeah transported by our van drivers so <coughs> so anytime that we can keep them in district and support them and make their um, meet their needs so that they can access the curriculum in in our district we're going to that. It's at savings. You don't see it as a savings necessarily, but it's at a much lower cost to us um, than if we were to send that student to an out of district placement.
5: And I'm going to be very frank. I think I've observed these out of district placements and our programs are almost better. Our our teachers are highly qualified. We're able to provide more comprehensive supports within our own district and, and as Mr. McNeil said, within it's not only good for the special ed students, it's good for the other students as well is to be real and it really helps with our inclusive inclusivity and people accepting others' differences and neurodiversities as well. So
2: can I just repeat those numbers one more time? You said 30 to 34,000 for in-districts? Yeah, so average, about- that's the average, average for out of districts?
8: Average, um, average in-district is about 30 to 34,000. Out of district could be anywhere between um, 50,000 to $300,000 a year. Plus transportation. That's, that's the plus, plus, transportation. plus transportation. range
2: Plus transportation. So, so it's, it's a significant difference. And uh, so investment in these specialized programs really is right. very cost saving on the back end. Thank you, Dave. else? Is there, uh, has there ever been a program where we've had someone who's out of district come back into this? We do.
5: We try very hard to bring our students back to district. I think last year we brought about two to three students back, and we're planning to bring another two to three students for hopefully next year.
2: Follow up on Natalie's question. You talk about other services. We haven't any numbers on how many students engage with those other services, and how that
0: changes year to year. Like the like the emotional mental well-being.
5: I don't have that number with me, but we we could definitely get that number to you mm-hmm. for sure.
6: Like students receiving like counseling support. Yes. Support like tier support. one, tier yeah, two. Like numbers. Yeah. Yep.
5: We could do that. <clears throat>
2: Council Chandler. Through you, Mr. Chairman. Right, Hi, thanks for coming. Actually, thanks to all the department heads. I see all the department heads came everyone but once, so we're doing good. Um, let me say something good before I ask a couple tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, I um, during the capital budget, I did try and take ten thousand from the fight department for your school day. <laughs> and I got defeated, yeah. so uh, we're working on That could come from the small ass me, Mr. Townsend. That's right. All right, so I'm working hard on that. Thank um, Now, so in our assumptions here, everything was, uh, I'm just going to bring up the raised thing for a quick second, it was two and a half percent on the town part. Thank you. And on the school part, it was an extra, it was 4%, so you got an extra one and a half percent. So obviously, 88% of your budget is salaries and um, benefits. Yes. So what was that number, what does that extra one and a half percent come up to? 600,000. 600,000. Okay. No, because I'm just, you know, because as the budget goes on, people are going to come to me and say, well, you know, the, the music needs this, the, everybody needs this, this, and this. And that that's a big number. That would solve a lot of problems. I believe that. Solve a lot of problems. And um, as fairness goes, but. I just wanted to find out that number. Thank you. Um, good thing for everybody was I saw the health insurance was the 5% increase major this year.
1: So that's really, that's pretty good. Jamie, okay. you
7: Please.
1: want to found on that? Yeah, uh, through sharing, I know Councilor Chandler knows this issue as well as anybody. Um, you know, we're still triaging it a little. I think we're hopeful that the rate will tick down just a tiny bit. Uh, But I think we stand to say that that number probably still won't change very much But the good news for the employees is there won't be any plan design change and we will be able to keep the HSA uh, Program going which has been very very popular and and very good for our employees. So I appreciate that comment. Council Chairman. We appreciate all the work you guys
2: did with that. Absolutely. Okay,
4: and
2: lastly so the more money we take out of that we don't give to you guys, how much is that more going to go back on the parents as fees? Is that your only other option since you have about not even 20 percent to play with?
6: So the majority of our budget is salaries, right? Correct. Um, we. Every year, you know, we didn't say this, but it'll be, it's in our budget reports, it's in everything. We, we look to make enrollment-driven de- reductions and try to keep up with those costs. We also try to uh, put a close eye to the investments that we've made annually, regardless of enrollment, and say, are these effective? And do they work, and should they care? Just like any organization, every, every department behind me, we look at what's working and what's not. So um, we, we would look to continue to do that, do um, you want to f- uh, f- expand on yep. that?
8: Yeah, so so I would say exactly what Mr. Geary just said. We always look to uh, make reductions um, to keep up with enrollment as well as other reductions that we might be able to make uh, within the budget on any given year, uh, and we do that on every given year in the 15 years that I've been here. Uh, we also look at other streams of revenue. This, you know, I don't want to get out ahead of the school committee because they haven't seen the, the school's budget yet. Um, but the the budget does not uh, anticipate any increase to fees at this point in time. Uh, You you already know what the request is going to be. It doesn't, as I said, it doesn't anticipate an increase to fees right now. Um, We also um, are anticipating, um, one of the things that didn't come up yet, but we've talked about um, specialized programs and specialized placements, is the, the governor's budget is funding circuit breaker At an increase this year, and circuit breaker um, reimbursement will likely um, go up next year just by virtue of the fact that districts are going to spend 14% more on out of district placements. Um, Now what the threshold is and how that reimbursement is ultimately going to play out still remains to be seen, but that that will um, be an added support for next year. Um, And then um, you know, we we look at areas of the budget that include salaries, where we think we can make reductions, um, what's working, what's not, and and we go from there.
2: Okay, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Chair.
8: Councilor
10: Frangillo. Sure, thank you. Focus on schools while they're here. I, um, it stinks, but the, the, the cap of the two and a half percent, revenue increase is the same cap that every community in, in Massachusetts gets. And so at some point, uh, knowing how well we're doing uh, comes at a point of comparing ourselves uh, relatively to the communities around us. Now, on the, uh, the, the town part, um, we know that uh, our fire department is one of three suburban fire departments to receive the, the top uh, classification. Um, our our police is in uh, perceived full accreditation which puts them in the top X percent um, of performing uh, police departments uh, our uh, DPw superintendent was uh, superintendent of the of the year across the country um, last year uh, what do we have in terms of metrics to compare ourselves to uh, communities around um, both in terms of how much we're contributing uh, to schools as well as how we're how we fare in terms of
6: So I'll
8: speak to our per pupil cost, excuse me, Um, I'll I'll speak to our per pupil cost first um, and then I'll let Mr. Deguera speak uh, to the the academic portion. Uh, In terms of per pupil spending, our our per pupil spending is as of 2021, which is the latest data out from the Department of Education, our in-district per pupil spending is 16% below the state average, we're in the 20th percentile. Um, for spending in the state. That means 80% of districts in the state of Massachusetts spend more on education on a per pupil basis than Franklin does. Um, so, so there's one data point. Um, the second data point that I'll speak to is that in terms of the amount of state aid that we're receiving. We are a minimum aid community. We're gonna get $30 per pupil at least on the current Student Opportunity Act um, as it is written. $30 per pupil, um, more than our hold harmless amount of roughly $28 million. So um, we're gonna get $150,000 uh, on an annual basis um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, we're getting $11 million more than we should be getting as a community because of where the um, for, how the formula plays out for us in our community. Uh, and in the next several years, you will see that the formula will require the town to contribute more towards the foundation budget um, than it has <coughs> in past years because that's just how the formula works. Um, the required contribution for the town will, will continue to go up. We're at about 72% right now in terms of how much the town has to contribute towards um, uh, the foundation budget. Uh, so just a couple of for you
6: academically I know um, historically people have talked about student performance across the board um, Franklin we've we've done very well as a community in that regard um, not only with the state testing but we look at some of the, the college admission testing that occurs and um, those are just uh, two ac- academic metrics I would caution folks when they read the paper when you see like the top 50 schools and whatnot I think there was an op-ed recently on that and it had to do a little bit with funding and how schools are supported so um, I don't want to overspeak to that thing, but that is that is another um, area where us. you'll see like states will rank schools and whatnot. Um, but I think uh, those are that, is that we don't typically come in the top 50 rankings. Um, not we've we've not been anymore. in the past, not, not not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, athletically, obviously the Dalton Award winners, where you have the most wins of any you know combined varsity athletics. You also look at the state championships and whatnot. Our theater company. Um, c- compete, they just competed this weekend, this past weekend, um, um, did very well to move on. So they have competitions just like every other type of program that's competitive. You've heard of our DECA program um, where we continually do well. Our math competition, our mathletes, math if you will, um, do uh, very well competitively. We have a, a stellar music program. We have um, Mock Trial, thank you. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> yes, our mock trial uh, does very well. Steve, am I missing anything else? <laughs> Most of the stuff Steve drama. covers. Yeah, I mentioned theater, but drama would count uh, there. So I think it's um, academics and the environment that we're able to create um, and for our kids. And um, those are just examples that I would give on metrics. Um, No superintendent of the year, accolades, you know, I've only been doing this a few months, but I don't anticipate that in my future. Um, (laughs) But um, but ultimately, all kidding aside, I think, um, you know, we, for, this is, I'm gonna be careful here, we do a lot um, with what we have, and that's not to say we don't need it. People often ask too, like, what's the vision? What do you want to accomplish? What would you add? And we can talk about that and talk about our hopes and dreams, but I think um, a solid system needs to be in place where you're supporting the kids who walk through your door every day as well as part of that. So I wouldn't want to lose it to a new initiative or or an idea um, and really think about the supports we need day to day um, in our classrooms. And it's not just in one area. It's not just special ed or one area, but it's around keeping keeping, uh, reasonable ratios of students to teachers you know, the research shows there's the most important thing you can have is a high-quality teacher making a solid connection with a kid, and if you think back to your educational experience, if you think about a teacher that had an impact on you, what, what that what has done for your life, I think that's that's where I would try to make sure we focus on as we kind of go through this process. <coughs> Sorry, Sorry, if you had
1: something on that. Yeah. Um, cool. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Lucas just said a lot of things there at the end that were very poignant, and I think they actually, it was a perfect bridge to the municipal part um, of the coin as well. He said, we do a lot with what we have. And I guarantee you, the chiefs behind me, the DPW director, senior center director, library director, everybody, that is exactly what they would say. The chief of police is gonna say, the town of Natick has 90 cops, and we've got 50 something, and we do Probably better service than they do. And the fire chief is gonna say those other towns have X amount of firefighters and we still became ISO one because of the commitment of the team and the character and the culture that we have. The DPW director is gonna say the same thing, and I think there's that's where the bond and similarities are. That's why you see a $5.8 million deficit. Because the demand for service is huge. And as I've consistently said over and over, the tax levy in this town is not Needham, it's not Natick, it's not Milton yet. Um, if you wanna be that place, that's what you need to do. It's the tax levy. There's no fee, there's no assessment, there's no utility, there's no big, you know, there's nothing coming out of the air that is going to somehow magically amend Lucas's statement from we do a lot with what we have, which is kind of a statement of pride that we are able to achieve at the level we have despite the money that we actually both are all getting in the banks. Our metrics, and I'm sure the Chiefs and, and, and Brutus and everybody can dig down a whole nother level, they're both going to have record-breaking call volume this year. Fire Department's going to be over 5,000 calls and the Fire Department's also going to be the highest level of mutual aid calls. We're not almost just good for Franklin, we're almost a regional resource by some, by some, by some metrics. Um, I think the schools would probably say a similar thing. I hear the success of the academic achievements, the uh, the Dalton Awards, all the things that Lucas just said, and it and it kind of mirrors the town, right? Um, things aren't bad here at all. In fact, things are really, really good in Franklin, and we have to have a tremendous amount of pride for what we do have, and 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 maybe be a little less grumpy at what we don't have. Um, but recognize where we want to go is going to take a tremendous amount of collaboration. It is going to take um, all of us to work together to figure out what that strategy is to get to that next level that I think the community and all of you are hearing and the community is kind of desiring um, but we we, the money is just not going to be there to do all of this stuff that people want to do and so when we look at metrics I think you know Brutus can come up and probably give a speech about road miles and park maintenance and mowing lawns and the increase in trying to get contractors for snow and ice removal. He calls it blood money for a reason because a lot of people don't want to do it <laughs> and it's hard to get good people in. And the quality of snow and ice removal, it may, sound, it may sound something that's like taken for granted, but make no mistake at how hard those guys are working around the clock at night in the middle of storms and how hard it is to drive a truck. Uh, to get good snow removal without hitting mailboxes, <laughs> as few as possible, <laughs> and not crushing you know, the curbs and other things, uh, it does take a lot of skill. It takes a lot of experience to do those jobs right. Um, so, I mean, if, if folks want them to come up and, and go into more metrics, I'm sure they could, but I think when we look at it, when I look at it more than 30,000 feet, um, you know, I see the call volumes. When the power outage was out in the, when the cold was here a few weeks ago, there wasn't, there wasn't a member of our department in the station. They were out all day long, all night, 24 hours, for th- two days straight, dealing with emergencies and houses. Um, and you know, I think what you're hearing here is from a special education status, from a need status of mental well-being, on the schools, I think you're starting to see some themes here, that the is looking for a lot more services. There's a big demand there because people are in need and they're looking to us for, for assistance. So. I'll end there, Mr. Chairman. If anybody else has any of it, it he comments, there are obviously more Thank
0: you, Jamie. You, you still
1: have the floor. And I, and I do fully want to put
10: a, a pin in, in the piece. I think that's a, absolutely. I think that's the largest piece of what we need to talk about as we as we uh, look at this budget. Just while we have schools here, we're going to continue to focus on, <laughs> the, on the school expenses. I'm going to ask you uh, to compare yourselves to others as best you can. Um, again. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's cool to hear that research backs up my intuition, which is that uh, the quality of teachers is the single most important thing in terms of uh, student performance. Uh, do we have a sense of how well we do, both in terms of attracting and retaining uh, teachers? I mean, how much money is going into finding new teachers and
6: filling gaps? Uh, are, we, are we paying enough to get, have them stick around and are they good? Well, as, as an industry, I think we faced some challenges along the way of hiring and um, finding qualified, licensed teachers. Um, there's been a shortage. I think I read in, in The Economist, it was 575,000 educators across the country um, left education after the pandemic. Um, since then, we've had uh, students continue to go through college and, and want to be teachers and um, others who've joined the field from career switches um, after the pandemic. And we um, struggled. We provided updates. If you you may recall, if you tuned into school committee meetings, we would talk about we had, you know, this many openings. We had five openings left and four and one and two. And we were able to, um, you know, hire the teachers that we needed. But between July and August, uh, I'm sorry, July and September, I think, we, we hired for positions that we had um, open, I think, about over 125 positions um, that we filled um, that were positions that we had um, in the budget. Um, so we've, we actively recruit and try to retain. I do think, um, you know, when we look at, you know, um, post-pandemic, one question I asked everyone that we hired or people who were leaving, you know, what, you know, we always do exit interviews. What's, what's the reason, you know, we try to get that information. And, and, and most times it was I am leaving for either one or two reasons. One, I'd like to live closer to where I live. The pandemic and the shutdown and all of that kind of reframed how I see my work and I no longer want to drive from, um, you know, Brookline to Franklin. I'd rather um, live out that, in that area and do that. Um, the second was I can, uh, there's, there's a lot of openings because of the, the exodus I talked about and I can do that same job and I'm going to be closer to home and I might um, be able to get a better salary in that particular way so I think those are things that we faced and other districts have oh. faced as well but um, we really work hard based on the reputation we have to try to brand we are attending job fairs, we're signed up um, amongst us all to get out and try to Hire and recruit really, really high-quality people because I think it makes a difference from the drop when you get somebody in that you've hired that you know can come in and do the job on day one. That's always the goal, but it's been it's been more of a challenge recently. I don't think we're the only industry facing that, but certainly we're, we're one, of them. So one more. Sure. sure. Uh,
10: just because it's come up as a you know, notably large expense in terms of per pupil, per pupil expenditure, uh, the special education uh, component. 18%, frankly, is higher than I, uh, I thought it would be. Do we know how that is relative to others? And what are effective strategies for you know, keeping someone from um, entering the special education program? If that's the right terminology, I apologize.
8: Yeah, so again I'll start and uh, I'll, I'll refer to Mrs. Morano, but um, I think 18% is, um, is pretty close to the state average. I think we're a little higher than that. The <coughs> state average could be a little bit lower, but I, I think we're closer to 22, 23%. Um, and um, in terms of um, keeping kids from special ed services, I think that goes through our multi tiered systems and support. And um, I'll let you speak more to
5: that. that. Right. It's, it's really looking, um, you know, through assessments and, and whatnot, looking at what the students' gaps are and providing intervention just in time. So, pri- providing intervention before their special ed. So, if we're seeing a student is struggling with math concepts, then we might give him what we call a tier two intervention. We'll look at some small group intensive intervention on that skill. Once he shows progress, okay, he's back in the classroom, right, and we're providing those supports, those interventions and supports before they become, before they're referred for special education. So, um, right, just in time in the areas that they need. So, which then requires more staff, because we need interventionists to provide those little supports, so then that they can, you know, return to this to the gen ed classroom, or within the gen ed classroom, we're providing those supports. So, it's constantly examining the data and, and providing those just in time supports.
6: So, if a student has a lagging skill, we're all learning fractions. And uh, I'm struggling with that concept. And maybe there's a few, maybe Kobe is as well, and Mr. Conley is as well, and where we're, we're going to be pulled for intervention uh, while uh, during a flexible block so that we don't miss the classroom experience in real time. We get the skills <clears throat> we need so that those, those gaps don't continue. Because mm-hmm. once you lose the first lesson, now when we move on to the next lesson, the fractions, we're already. At a deficit. So what we've learned is, and we're, this is uh, a common strategy across the state, and we're using, you know, we've utilized funding um, for that, grant funding for ESSER, um for intervention, is currently. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is before we get to a place where that gap is so far that we are now having a different conversation around the types of support students needs. Students need if it's truly a matter of can we can we get that that skill developed and can we get you back into where you were, um, that's ultimately a strategy that we use, and that's general ed, that's that's a support across the board. We're all in the same classroom, so. That's
10: it for now, thank you.
6: I just have a follow-up to, uh,
0: only because I don't have a long memory, but uh, how does, how does our uh, assessment team uh, within these schools, do we get much pushback, in other words, uh, a parent that may not be satisfied with what is recommended, and then look to outsource an assessment to look for more services. Do we get much of that? I guess I'm just kind of looking to see
5: we do, I mean, there, there are parents that say, you know what, I don't agree with that, so then we might um, seek an outside evaluation, which they're, they're, they have a right to do, that. that's part of the regulations, and we have to fund that part, it.
0: That part, I did remember. And we have to fund <laughs> it, so yes, we do. And we have
5: to fund it. And we it. have to fund it if they disagree and, the, and with the, the assessment, it is one of our, you know, and if we feel that, okay, it's possible that we might have missed something, yes, we do, you know, seek outside, evaluate a clinical psychologist or a neuropsychologist or outside. Maybe behaviorist that will will do another assessment for us. So it does happen. We try to really work with the parent obviously and come to a compromise. Um, But yes, there are times that that does happen.
0: Okay. Um, Dave. Go ahead. Since you had had a turn. George is cut away.
3: Would you write write it down?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. So. one thing too that I wanted to to address, you know, we were definitely kind of talking about it, but um, you know, we, we kind of talked about like comparables and, and uh, especially about the like teacher salaries. Uh, that you know, we're we're now kind of bringing up to the level where where we are comparable and competitive uh, to a lot of other districts in the surrounding area. And you know, when when Superintendent Gear kind of talked about how many positions were left open, you know, I know also too that to, you know, there was a. Uh, U.S. Department of Education kind of said that uh, 53% of all public schools across the nation opened up last fall uh, not fully staffed without teachers in, in every classroom. And, you know, so, so this makes it a heck of a lot easier when, I guarantee you, you know, come summer, we're going to be hearing about those national teacher shortages all over again. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we you know, uh, Superintendent Jagir uh, and his staff, you know, did a, a great job of to try to minimize the impact of the students, this fall, and he was he was in a whole bunch of classrooms uh, to try to do that. But uh, yeah, you know, I hired him to be the superintendent, not necessarily a you know, great teacher, but I love <laughs> you. <it to> <laughs> um And so uh, I, I think that you know when you talk about like that six hundred thousand dollars, what else can that do? Well, one of the things that, that I think that the hope is. Uh, is kind of prevent, you know, as a backstop, to kind of prevent uh, further openings uh, from, you know, from the school kind of opening up in the fall without, uh, you know, while still looking for teachers, while still looking for positions, because, uh, you know, now, you know, we are more competitive. We are, are more competitive. So, uh, you know, I know one of the things was tossed out my daughter is, uh, she has softball, and she competes in the, the Hockamot League. And, uh, and kind of, if you, if you look at those, like, 12 districts in that league, before this, uh, Franklin, in terms of teacher salaries, really ranked 11th out of 12 uh, districts, and and I know that if if she placed 12th uh, in her softball league, uh, 11th, and she she'd be outraged. And uh, this kind of brings us up to level because I think if we were still kind of serving at that that 11th place marker, when if if, if we got 10 teachers coming looking in this community and in this area for new jobs, it, it's a hard sell to bring them to to Franklin. I love Franklin. Frank right. was fantastic, but if, if we're not able to, to pay our teachers competitively, it's, it's difficult to be able to fill up those positions. And so uh, so I think, that, I mean, you're right, there's, there's so many you know great things we can do with every dollar across this entire community, both on the municipal side and the school side, uh, but, uh, but I do hope that a lot of those dollars that we're putting towards there are gonna help to alleviate that national, so they keep that national teacher shortage elsewhere in the nation and and not in Franklin come the fall. Appreciate it. Thank you. you. Councilor Hamblin.
3: Thank you Mr. Chairman, sorry George. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to actually thank you all for being here tonight. I just wanted to go back to the conversation about the assessment for a second. Um, It's very, to me it's really interesting because um, to bring the student out, the students out to re- to train them again, so they don't fall far behind. That yeah. that's just really fascinating. Like, how much time does the assessment team have to make that decision? Um,
6: so, so yes. Yeah, so the interventions that take place, um, and I think we can all chime in on this one. But ultimately, um, there are designated times where we try to provide this intervention that don't. Um, impact the day, so it could be that a student's receiving intervention on any given week um, for a thirty-minute block, where it's we're really trying to focus on a skill that's lagging that we've identified. Right. We well, pre- well, when
3: does they when do when does the staff though, realize like we need to get we need to pull this student up? Like, that's the magic they,
6: of teaching. No, I know. Oh, I know.
5: It, it could be a quick formative assessment. It could be a quick dipstick. It could be a, a you know a, a, a a Quiz, a quiz a screener, oh, okay. it could be any of those things, depending on. It could be our map testing. We do this NWEA map three times a year. It could be based on that data. Um, it could be. They're just our teachers. Just constantly are doing those quick assessments. And so these teachers
3: need to be trained to be able to do this, right? So there's a training cost to make sure that they can identify when the student needs more help. Is that is there a training for that? For that or did they're just. Awesome teachers. Are well, I think like. part, part of the
6: profession is to, to understand and have a yeah. uh, formatively assess, like assess in real time, and then you know, summatively assess, like at like a test, like we would have right. known. Um, so, I think both are happening every day um, with students. But uh, Mrs. Morano brought up a good point when we talk about these tiers and where um, students fall in any given area, we do have universal screeners. That also look so it might not just be math teacher notices fractions are a struggle for these five students but it could also be that we've done the screener in the fall and we've recognized that there are some gaps in these particular areas and we're going to focus on those lagging skills with those students and then bring them uh, get them the intervention they need so it could be more systemic and planned so And and
5: and our curriculum leaders within the buildings will also look at that data so our reading specialists our math specialists our math CETs um, we'll look at that when they when we do those um, universal screeners, they'll look at that data and track that data as well. Yes, yes, thank you. I, I, to me, it seems like it takes a large team takes to, to do
3: this to make sure that our students get the help that they need. So they don't end up in costing more, right? because then they'll then there's the thirty thousand and sixty thousand potentially. Um, right, and
5: all of our schools have what we call instructional support teams, who are constantly looking at data and student work and examining that data, mm-hmm. and determining, you know, what where our students fall and what students need some extra help.
6: Can I just add one more thing? Yeah. <laughs> just, sure. uh, I know there's other questions. Um, the other piece is when we think. I'll just use elementary. We had the um, the math specialist present to school committee. That's exactly what I was going to um, say. <laughs> and the data and the charts and where every kid's name is and which unit and where their skills are yellow or red or blue or green or, you know, and how they've coded it to kind of see and move kids and use that data was one thing. The other piece is if you're an elementary teacher, you're responsible to teach every subject. And without a specialist who's a math teacher, math specialist who can go around and help and assist and make sure you're trained, so you know how to screen. You know how to support kids. It's it's um, it's part of that system idea, right? Yeah. Um, the system that we need to support the the work. So just to kind of elaborate a little bit.
3: Thank you. Um, I would assume that um, as Dave mentioned, that the um, how would we we want to keep the um, the teacher. What was it? The nat- national teacher.
6: Shortage, shortage shortage
3: away from franklin i assume that there's a huge cost with hiring people as well i know um, you know there's the training involved to get used to people into the system uh, and so mean, that do you know how much i how much so you hired 120 teachers at the beginning of this of the year for through what was the, through the, what through was the spring, cost summer. for that
6: i think we 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 have Uh, employees just like every department here tonight that vet and interview and have teams that we put together and make recommendations. So I think that's part of the work of an administrator is ultimately to work with fellow teachers and specialists and put teams together um, to do that. So I think, um, I don't know if that's an additional cost driver. Um, We are members of SchoolSpring which is an education website like Indeed or something like that to that effect. Where everyone can go to find information. Some of our administrative positions we need to post out uh, more broadly um, in other a- other areas. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer. Do you have an answer? For yeah.
8: That? I, you know, there's a cost of mentoring, mentoring. as well because some of our new teachers get mm-hmm. mentors mm-hmm. assigned to them. So there's there's a cost there. Um, and then if there are specialized um, pieces of software or um, platforms that we're using. Um, to train them to train new teachers um, with those types of platforms. There are costs sometimes involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I w- and I would also um say to the to Mr. DeGuir's former point that the math specialist came before the school committee at their last meeting and um, and provided a whole lot of that data that you were looking at in terms of how they got to that point and mm-hmm. how they identify a student um, ahead of time and, and it was really Um, a phenomenal presentation and for me to say that in in 15 years that I've never seen math specialists come to um, a school committee meeting to make that type of a presentation I was really impressed with that Um, nice it it
3: makes things more efficient too it does yeah it does which is a good thing because you don't seem to have enough enough time to do everything that needs to get done Um, I have a question again about um, the whole harmless. I think a lot of people are, are, get confused about that, so I just wanted to make sure that um, we all we all understood so that there's this um, chapter 70 funding is up instead of ten dollars. It used to be ten dollars a student. Is that correct? And now it's going to be thirty extra dollars. Sure. Yeah,
8: so the minimum aid per pupil is $30 according to the Student Opportunity Act, okay? So Chapter 78, the, the State Department, the State Department then is going to identify an amount that they feel is an amount that is necessary to provide an adequate education to the students of Franklin. Then they're going to decide how much Franklin can afford to pay based on its wealth and um, income and property values. They're going to take that. First number, found the foundation budget. Subtract what Franklin can afford to pay, and and backfill the rest with Chapter 78. Mm-hmm. So when you actually do that math, that number comes out to about 18 million dollars. The reality is, is we're getting close to 29 million dollars in state aid because we've been getting in the 28, 29 million dollar to this point, mm-hmm. so they're not gonna take away what we got even though the formula says we're only supposed to get 17 million. So that's where that 11 million dollars comes into play. So we're left,
3: mm-hmm. and uh, we're all
8: Well, I, I would also add to that because we're receiving that additional Chapter 70 money and we're also required to spend a certain amount on education, that's gonna be our required amount to spend. So just because the state's giving us more, and they're also expecting us to still contribute right. what they expect us to contribute, so that's gonna increase our net school spending, our required amount to spend to educate students in this time. And You said that
3: that is gonna go up. It is going before. to go up,
8: yeah. it will. The, the required contribution will continue to go up um, to the to the max which is 82 and a half percent right now we're at 72 percent
2: and currently we're contributing more than we need to correct
8: currently we are we are paying uh, we are spending more than we are required than our required net school spending we're spending about eight and a half million dollars more than net school spending which is about 13 percent more um, which on average 82 percent more. On average, nope, So, so it's it. There's a lot of metrics, and and it's it's. Um, so, so the average, the average district in the state spends, twenty three percent more on uh, net school spending, <coughs> I believe, um, overall, more than they're required. The ab- districts in the state, on average, spend probably twenty. Um, sorry, 42.9% more than required net school spending as of 2021. So so we're spending 13% more than we're required to spend, but on average, districts in the state as of 2021 are spending 43% more. Okay. But yes, we are spending more than what's required. <coughs> Jamie,
1: you want to follow up? Thank uh, through I do. Um, so the whole harmless dynamic is something that um, is one of those issues that will keep my hair turning gray.
7: Yep, um, it will. To, to,
1: the, to, the, the yeah. we're both almost there. Yeah. The yeah. So, so oh, these very drops very wrong wrong. to it. Yeah, I know. jamie
0: better <laughs> grade than
1: <laughs> Touché, boss, touché. Um, great informational exercise. I mean, this is all very important to understand. Chapter 70, as Miriam knows, is, is, is known very well by very few. It's a very complicated formula. The whole harmless piece, um, we were talking the other day, and Miriam, I will give her credit for this point, which was extremely valid, because um, I've been through it before when I was in the legislature. When things start going south for the legislature someday, this is where unfunded mandates come in, this is where circuit breakers get cut, and whole harmless aid gets pointed out by lawmakers in districts that have too many kids. They go, wait a minute, why are we paying towns that don't have any kids? So that 11.2 million number, and as Miriam eloquently said, as you keep on raising up the required spending, the ice gets thinner. Okay, the ice gets really thin. And you're walking on very thin ice. If you fall through, there could be big trouble. So this issue of the tax levy and spending is also setting up the town to fall through the ice. This is a real threat. Do I think it's gonna happen this year, next year? I hope it never happens. I've been through this before, that when state budgets start going the other direction, now they have a great rainy day fund, I'm, you know, maybe they'll be able to make it through for a while, but at some point the public needs to understand that that whole harmless aid, and we will try to keep it sh- quiet, <laughs> but I can assure you if we keep it quiet here, Senator X and Rep X and Rep Y from other parts of the state that are in districts like Hopkinton or Needham where they're having debt exclusions almost every year to build schools because they have too many kids. They'll, rep, they'll know <laughs> about the whole honor right? Because they're worried about their districts. Right. So people have to be cognizant of this point that Miriam's dynamic she just brought up. It just keeps getting harder and harder. The number goes up. That's also a signal to all of you in the community that's not really the financial trend we want to be heading in. And I know right now it's like, oh, it's not, it's like, you know, flushing your toilet. Once it goes down, you think you don't really remember what happens, other than Brutus. But like, but ultimately, you know, this is the stuff that I have to point out. It is my job, because someday that is something that could happen. And as interest rates and economics change, we don't know where the state budget's gonna go. Second point, uh, Mr. Chairman, I just want to point out, you know, Chapter 70, state aid, local aid, all of those formulas are extraordinarily complicated. They boil it down on what's called a cherry sheet, so I'll do my my DOR part.
3: Um,
1: At the end of the day, House 1 this year, Governor Healy's budget, the town of Franklin loses $9,667 in aggregate. After all the other mosquito control, the county assessment, you know, MAPC, all these other little things that are etched out in state law. All the per pupil cost, I get it, like all the other dynamics of Chapter 70, I get it. But at the end of the day, the town is losing revenue. Those will go up as House, the House of Reps and the Senate, you know, up those numbers and stuff like that. It's important for people to understand that you know, as we're one Franklin, and we're just one, the school department is one department, you know, when it gets to, to my chair, they're all, they're correct with what they're saying, but then I, I got a net loss. And one of the cost drivers, Mr. Chairman, uh, that I didn't mention before, uh, that wasn't in the model, that will be in the final budget, is the town of Franklin is now gonna be on the hook for almost six million in the charter school assessment, based for the charter school. Now, just to point this out, because we have to. When the charter school expansion opened, what maybe five, six years ago, when they moved over to the 300 Financial Place, the town of Franklin, and correct me if I'm wrong, Miriam, I think was paying 3.7, 3.8, 3.9. So in the last seven years, that assessment is almost double. That's two million plus more. So part of my fret is, are we losing students to the charter school maybe, and the formula is what it is. Senator Spilka, Rep Roy, Senator Rausch were all here at numerous legislative forums over the last several years and all have tackled this issue and we should be grateful and thankful, particularly uh, Senator Spilka, who when the Student Opportunity Act went through in 2019, she had Franklin on her mind. She bolstered special education and notably charter school reimbursement charter school assessment is a total loser for the town of Franklin. 412,000 is the increase over last year. You're almost at six million, and they still have seats available over there, and they're probably gonna continue to add to them. So this dynamic with chapter 70, it's great if the per pupil piece went up, and I'm, I'm, I'm with the MMA, I, and I'm sure Miriam would agree with you. I wish the MMA calls for $100 per pupil. I'm on board. I thought the millionaire's tax was supposed to do this. And yet, it didn't seem to make it into the budget. And so, I'm just sitting here, letting you know where the breadcrumbs are. <laughs> you know, because at the end of the day, Frank, the town of Franklin and the public school district didn't oppose the charter school expansion. And at the end of the day, they knew those kids were gonna, were gonna come from Franklin we were gonna go over there and you were gonna have a more competitive environment and it was going to put the town of Franklin public schools in a bigger pickle than they were outside of Hold Harmless. Not trying to be shot value, I'm just trying to tell you the facts. Thank you.
0: I was surprised you didn't put that in your cost driver
3: comment. And I didn't you have, did have that. to ask my question. He answered it, it that for me. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'll give up the floor. Okay.
0: I'm George,
9: you're right. My questions have been an answered. Okay. I, I'll tell you what the point was. I hate <laughs> measuring against that per pupil thing, the $17,000, whatever it is. I just I have it in front of me. Yeah. The top school in there is Province Town. Yep. They spend forty one thousand yep. three hundred dollars. Then you look down Cambridge, Martha's Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard, the, the Charter School, system, uh, Minuteman Regional, Wellfleet, rich rich communities or small like the Cape communities, they're kinda weird. Of <laughs> um, but it's it's, it's it's a bogus number when you compare that number yeah. to what you get. I guess is a conclusion. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a meaningless number in my mind. Thank you, George.
0: Yeah. Um, probably this might be an unpopular comment, but I, I do believe I need to uh, at least put it out there. As we've all heard, we have revenue issues, and going forward, not just this year, but the year after and the year after, that we need to be thinking about and planning for, and what do we do? How do we fund the services that our community has, is accustomed <coughs> to getting? And receiving, um, and I'm just going to throw this out to the schools as I was looking at uh, uh, enrollment and just thinking off the top of my head uh, where there isn't much. <laughs> but if you look at enrollment, 2008 we were 6,400, 6,300, whatever the number was. We're now at 40. 4,000 plus. And we're losing, not losing students, we're dropping students by 100 to 150 a year annually. Uh, That's been the trend. It appears to be the trend going forward, as Jamie alluded to in uh, his summary. I look at that and I say, okay, Uh, if we're looking to the future uh, as a community, as a total community, in four years, five years, that's an elementary school. It's an entire school that we dropped in students, which means, and I'm not, again, I know we just closed Uh, you just closed Davis there and I'm not saying you have to close another building and sell it. What I'm saying is maybe we're going to be in a position where to help us with some of this shortfall that we have coming maybe there's another elementary school that we should be starting to look at now to maybe close. Now, I look back many, many, many years ago when Palmer was closed for a number of years. Still belonged to the school committee, still belonged to the school, but it was closed because we didn't have the students to fill. It's not to say, I look at that and I say, well, we'd be saving on building, our maintenance, upkeep, Uh, administrative team, uh, all the things that we were said when we talked about Davis there. Uh, I just think it is something that as a school department uh, and looking at enrollment, sitting on the outside, and again uh, we don't have access to all of the things that you're looking at, but that would be something that would be on the top of my list because it doesn't affect anything. Doesn't affect the classroom numbers because you're dropping the students. It, uh, I, I just don't drops the number of buses. Uh, there's many pieces that that could help as we move forward. We all know, and, and I'll sit here and ask a very simple, not a simple question. <laughs> As you look at the school budget, is it sustainable in the future at the current rate of expense commitments? I don't see that it is, as I sit here looking at the overall town's budget and the revenue that is coming in. It's very difficult, and we as counselors have to sit in front of our community and say, okay, how do we spend, how do we best spend the dollars? And we look to the school department to uh, come forward with uh, the best they can do with what they have and what they need. Uh, We have the police department, the fire department, the DPW, all of these departments that, uh, you know, are modestly increasing year after year after year. Uh, and the services continue to grow. If we need, if we are going to continue to provide the level of services, the municipal part of the government, of town government, and the school part of town government, we need to find another revenue source, or other revenue sources, because the current ones don't work and aren't going to work going forward. You know, sure, maybe we get through this year, maybe we get through next year. But looking down the road, it's just I don't see that it's sustainable. That was more of a statement. <laughs> <laughs> Any Cody. Cool,
10: thank you. The, now onto my, my larger pieces, although certainly schools take up a, a large piece of the conversation. I think that I talk about this a lot. There are three things that we're trying to balance. Everyone wants to pay low taxes, to have high quality services, to have low density and stay away from people. And it's very, very difficult to have all three. And so what we're talking about right now is the possibility of lowering the quality of services. And that is one possible uh, path to making this all work. Right, we can continue to cut uh, the school on and on, and then we'll just have smaller schools, and we'll get down to lesser schools, and we'll become a retirement community that just has uh, less things going on, but we'll more rural uh, services, so it'll be you know less quality roads, less quality uh, sewer and pipe, and we can continue to go in that direction. Everyone is off on their own thing and on their own uh, town well and you know with fewer kids in town. That is one possible uh, road that we can uh, go down. It's not the road that I wanna go down, although I am okay if you, if you agree that that is the road that you wanna go down. The other two levers that we have are taxes, and I do think that we need a serious conversation about uh, whether um, it's time for all of us in town to contribute um, more than the two and a half percent to help uh, pay for some of the services that we all enjoy. But the last piece is a piece that's often forgotten. We get our revenue mostly through property taxes, and we add to our revenue and ensure that you all get to pay lower taxes by bringing in more in property taxes. That comes in two different ways. One is attracting more commercial, although we know that it's really hard that the number one driver of attracting businesses to town is having places for people to live in town. Most of what we're talking about is adding people, adding homes to town. Now, when we talk about what it needs to look like for us to add homes to town, what we've done through for 30 years, we we're the fastest growing community uh, through the 90s, we just built out a ton of single family homes and we guaranteed you, hey, you're gonna have the highest quality uh, water and sewer and roads and we just spent and spent a ton and for that first life life cycle, of roads and pipes, we didn't have to pay anything. The developers built that and now those are coming onto our expenses and they're getting higher and higher and higher and our expenses are, are growing. We can continue to add homes in that way. We can continue to add homes in the way of uh, large multifamily complexes um, which justifiably are uh, scary and uh, abrupt and quickly change the feel of the community or we can go back to how we grew for hundreds of years before we started restricting to only single family homes where we allowed the community from the middle out to breathe naturally to make the next incremental uh, step of growth. It happens organically, one unit here, one unit there, one unit there, one unit there. We continue to add to our revenue. We continue to add smaller units that help people, our teachers, the the number one reason that you said we're losing teachers is because uh, they're living far away. They can't afford to live in Franklin. We can add smaller units to help them and fire and DPW and police uh, live in Franklin. Uh, And we can do that in a more natural way that allows us to be able to still afford the services, and to not have to pay that much more uh, in our taxes. To me, that's the number one path. And so when we talk about uh, budget and revenue, the piece that we're missing here is the planning piece, is the, and it's the it's the hardest part, because the planning department, for the most part, used their job as protecting citizens, sorry, protecting citizens from change. We need change if you want to be able to continue uh, the, the services. And, the question then becomes, how do we want to see that change? I would rather see it done organically, done at its own time, and done spread out and more naturally in a way that provides smaller units that allows our, our public servants uh, to live in home uh, and supports our businesses and uh, attracts other businesses uh, to Franklin. That's a, a full piece of this revenue, uh, or of, this, of this budget. Is our services are growing, we're capped in how much taxes can grow, but we have the opportunity to build smarter than we are now.
0: Thank you, uh,
9: George. Just one question. Um, you guys are
10: currently going through a
0: redistricting analysis. <coughs> Wouldn't it have been,
9: which is going to take a lot of people and turn them this way upside down, moving kids all over the place? Wouldn't it have been prudent to include the closing of the school that Tom
0: referenced? First of all, I didn't reference it. I just <laughs> referenced the <it. laughs> parliamentary only because that <laughs> was years ago. So, I was just <laughs> talking about <laughs> parliamentary. So, so
9: wouldn't it, instead of having two upheavals in five years, have one major <laughs> one and just get it done? I, I haven't watched the meetings, but I've read it. Sure. And this room in the three big buildings we have now, at least it appears that way, from the, the study, the whatever it was two years ago or three. Right. Wouldn't it have been better to, to cause one giant upheaval
6: than two of them three years apart? I'm happy to speak to this. So we are in the process of a redistricting analysis. There's been no decision made on um, closing a school or even that thought. There's three options on the table that look at and consider the fact of an upheaval or anything that could happen in the future. It's ultimately the school committee's final decision on the direction we move, but the charge we have is we're in the process of studying this. And just to um, speak to an earlier point, our enrollment does decline, and then around 2027, it increases and comes back up. So there's a window where it goes down, but the numbers we have today, we could not fit into four elementary schools. So by 2027, you're back at a situation where, based on the McKibben report, you're back at needing the space that we have currently to sustain those buildings based on the data that we have and the projections that we're using. The second piece I would just add is if you read the um, architectural report that we, uh, we use, we've based a lot of our modeling on, it does talk about not accounting for the industry programs that we offer. So when we think about um, the students in the industry placements, if they take classrooms, that means uh, a classroom that's used for industry specialized programming that we mentioned, that comes offline as a (coughs) 25-student classroom. So the numbers start to change, and I think that's where the, the analysis comes, is around where are we at. And one thing we all agree on is trying to make sure that we are thinking about not just next year, but the future, because I think that's a really critical conversation that we continue to have. Um, the school committee is obviously interested in in, in un- having that information so that they can make the most informed decisions possible, and I think that's the charge. So I just wanted to, um, I, I appreciate you both asking the, the questions and comments, but um, certainly, you know, we're, we're looking at the short term and the long term as we do this.
0: The, and, and I know they're very hard questions. And, sure. You know, uh, and I wasn't suggesting that this is what you do. What I was suggesting is the example. an yeah. example of what could be done to save uh, with as little impact on services that are currently being provided. That was the intent. Any other?
10: One well, last one. Appreciate it. Can't tell, I'm wary of the over focus on further hindering our schools as the solution to balancing our budget. I'm worried that that is a potential race to the bottom, or at least race to a community that no longer looks like. Our community. We know that the number one reason someone moves to Franklin is the quality of schools. Um, that's the biggest uh, driver. Um, I would say, you know, here's here's why the twenty percent number, uh, the bottom twenty percent net school spending um, in terms of per pupil spending matters. I agree that it's it's a rough number, uh, it, it, it doesn't fully take into account how much is coming from the town budget and all of this. It, but we're not talking about being the province town or the wealthiest. we're not talking about being number one, even if you take it as the loosest of numbers. I don't think that we're in the bottom 20th percentile of income, and I certainly don't think that we're in the body, bottom 20th percentile of expected service uh, from our schools. And so even if you say that it's something around that, we're not talking about, all right, are we number one, are we number five? We're talking about being in the bottom 20th percentile in terms of what we're contributing to the schools. And so if we continue to focus on, on, on further bringing that down, on further bringing down the amount of schools uh, that we have, which disrupts uh, the neighborhood, which accepts that we're gonna stop building homes that people can afford to live in uh, with students, um, we, can, we can go down that route, but it's going to look like a lot different Franklin than the Franklin that we've all grown up in and, and enjoyed.
1: Thank you. Jamie. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just um, really quickly, I would just say that um, this is an engaging conversation. I think, um, very, I hope everyone's learned a lot of new things. Um, I just have to say respectfully to everybody, this isn't a strategy. Two and a half percent is what you're going to grow every year. The commercial sector in Franklin is very strong. Uh, we're a very attractive community from a commercial industrial standpoint. Um, across the street is a great example. Six new businesses over there, a lot of them you can't get into. The Shed, start whatever you want to do, there's a lot of really good things happening. To Councillor Frangillo's anxiety or his points about what the future is in the school district and sustainability, the one good thing is is that I think as Lucas's point before is you know we all do really great with what we have. As I pointed out before, to get to another level that people want to be, if you want to accelerate that pace beyond two and a half, <coughs> and each year Lucas and I are going to triage our budgets with our departments and principals and save a little here and we're going to cut a few things that. You know, we, we don't even have time to talk about, right? Because there's so many little things that go on um, in municipal and in school finance. Um, but ultimately, you know, um, you know culturally, you need, if you want to accelerate that pace of investment beyond what people are demanding, whether it's call volume for, for, for calls, for real public safety incidents, we just had one last week, where someone opened fire with 11 shots on Washington Street, this is not just everywhere else in America, Um, to the record breaking fire calls, to all the demands on schools, all the stuff we talk about, at some point this group, or a future group, somewhere, somehow, people are going to have to realize that an actual real strategy needs to be born. Aside from opinions, aside from hypotheticals, ideologies, and fantasies, an actual strategic plan needs to be put on the table or put forward to actually figure out this model. I can't, I do all the economic development for Franklin with our staff. I can't bring in more companies of various things to bring in more revenues like that. The work our team has done on all of the companies that have come to Franklin um, you know, has been you know, incredible. But There's only really so much we can do. Um, I know we're gonna get started with the branding exercise soon, and some of that stuff, that's great. But if we really want to be in a place and we want to also make sure that the thin ice doesn't get thinner, particularly for the school district, without having an impact on other services like snow and ice removal or DPW or fields or mowing lawns or whatever, folks, elected officials, appointed officials, have to start trying to have a conversation about what is that ask, why is it there, how do you do it, and what do the strategies to do it, and that, I have to say, in my municipal experience, 24 years, it's probably the hardest thing, probably, probably the hardest and most challenging policy development we all do. So, um, I know it's tough to get close to the rail. I'm trying to push y'all a little more. <laughs> get you to come back down to earth and just say, look, we can talk about all this stuff, but at the end of the day, There's no strategy, there's no culture developed that says we're all in this together and we all have to figure out what each other's gonna do. With all respect to the school salaries, our salaries are the same, okay? One of the biggest reasons why we're able to hire fire and police is not the salaries, because we're not in civil service, (laughs) you know? But make no mistake, we are losing police officers. We've just lost three, completely to public service altogether because of the wages. Three police officers just left, three, three really talented people that were experienced, they went through all the academy, these weren't young folks, they left all together. That same trend is gonna happen for all municipal work unless we get those salaries up. I said it before and I will have done this, Mr. Chairman, if I were the governor and lieutenant governor, I'd get policies interesting. If I were them, I'd be making a call to public service. Just like JFK did 50 years ago, with the toughest job you'll ever love in the Peace Corps. We love what we do. I'm gonna speak for you on that one. I know you do, and I know everyone in this room does. But to hire a teacher, and I know you're familiar with this view, it's tough. Why would someone young get into this field? I don't know. Because you care? Because you get the buck? Um, money's not all of it. It's important. Uh, but from a recruitment and attention standpoint, you know we need more people getting involved in public service in general if we're going together too, Um, because I don't see huge amounts of people coming out of college these days saying, I want to be a police officer, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a dispatcher, I want to, you know, and that's also going to hurt. And so, um, you know, we're going to be good in FY24, Franklin's going to be some of the best quality of life in the United States of America, we're going to make great investments in the schools and a lot of other areas, But if a lot of this conversation and many conversations we've been having for years, folks really need to start to look out and say, what is the strategy moving forward? And how are the schools, the school part, and the municipal part, what is it that is going to bring people back together to make it one community where really everyone in the community can rally around the strategy on that investment in the town? So um, that's my closing salvo.
0: Thank you, James. And uh, again, I think it's important, and Jamie uh, alluded to it, we are one community. We are the town of Franklin, and we are all in this together. Uh, Whether it be the school part or the municipal part, we are all in it together. And we all have to develop and work together to develop the strategies that make it work. What are those strategies? Right now, I don't know. Uh, But I know it's something we need to be working on. And one of the strengths of, uh, and I bring this up every year at budget time, uh, but one of the smartest things this community ever did was build this municipal building Mm -hmm. and put the town administrator and the superintendent of
1: the right offices always back <laughs> so
0: that they could communicate and work together on a regular basis and that's what we i i i do feel uh that some of that over the last few years for whatever the reason related to covid whatever we seem to have drifted from that and i think it's up to us We are the bodies, the different bodies of uh, the municipal government that need to help to bring this, bring us back together as one community. Because it's the only way we're going to succeed and provide the level of services that we're all accustomed to. With that, we've been here quite a while. The only thing I will say to our audience that is here in council chambers. The next time we have one of these, the municipal part and the school part, we will expect to intermingle like we did up here. <laughs> <laughs> you <to> the <laughs> in the audience? In the audience. because we had a lot of the municipal people on that yes. side, and the school on the other there, so. <laughs> With that, you got the
5: British. joined us. Who? He us. He joined us. He, the he joined the Did he join us? <laughs>
1: it, uh, Thank you, Brutus. He's such a ham. Bring it together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he came away
0: uh, uh. He came late. He came <laughs> 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 <He> away. <can't wait. laughs> it's only because the people over here wouldn't let her sit. <laughs> okay, uh, with that I get to make a motion to adjourn. Non-debatable. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye.
2: Opposed. Thank you. Thank you one and all for
7: being here. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.